Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Now, to be honest, I've been a little bit preoccupied with uh, delivering a new property training program, which is called iKickstart over the last six to eight weeks. And so this has probably, in all honesty, pushed back the start date of Series 2 a little bit. Now, though, it's uh, it's high time to get cracking with Series 2, I think. Um, but I'm going to ease you into the theme gently by covering an overview of the series here today before making more detailed episodes in the coming weeks. So in addition, I plan to have an extended Your Voice segment as I weigh up a listener question from one of our most loyal and indeed supportive rather listeners, Sanjay. And finally, in the shout-out, I'd like to come back to my story with NPower, uh, which you may have heard a few weeks ago, and fill you in a little bit on, on what's happened there as well. So let's get on with the show right now with Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. In truth, I, I can't deny to you that it's probably a little bit overdue that we finally get to start in Series 2. Nevertheless, we're here, and so let's set the scene a little bit this week before we get into the the heart of the matter over the next few weeks, as I said. Now, cycles exist all around us. Our body clocks, our calendars, and the changing of the seasons on a personal level. And of course, business, political, and even social cycles we can probably identify with as well. And the same is true with property and indeed property investing. We have some clear cycles to work our way through. There are, however, more than one cycle that we need to concern ourselves with in property. And whilst there may be more than I plan to share, I intend to cover off three specific types of uh, of cycle over the course of this series. Namely, the property market cycle, which looks at house prices and, to a lesser extent, rents over a period of time. The property investment life cycle, which is a cradle to grave, or as our US cousins like to call it, soup to nuts, (laughs) view of how a property moves through a cycle from acquisition to exit and everything else in between. And then there is the portfolio cycle, which if, uh, if the property market is a macro view and the property investment cycle is a micro view, then the portfolio cycle is, I guess, a midi view, if you like. It considers a collection of different properties over an extended period of time of ownership, starting with growth and acquisition through to consolidation and finally to exit. So my plan is to unfold and unpeel the layers that make up these different cycles and to try to make some sense of them as they relate to us as individual property investors. In addition to me giving my insights, as I usually do, I'm also going to be joined by a number of guests or as I prefer to call them, subject matter experts, by adding in some different inputs and experience in in short bursts, as we did in in series one, in fact. And we'll give, uh, or rather we'll get a wider perspective and some very good insights, I'm sure, from those uh, very knowledgeable people. 
I already know this actually, having already recorded a couple of these interviews ready to roll them out for you. So in terms of a preamble, that's pretty much all I wanted to share with you today at least, or this week at least. I'm setting the scene and whetting your appetite for what lies ahead in the coming weeks. And we'll see how the property market does indeed seem to follow some fairly predictable cycles. And importantly, consider how we can both capitalize upon and potentially defend our position as a result of knowing this. And in terms of an individual property life cycle, there are some very clear and practical steps that are, that are followed when we look to add or invest in property. So this will be you know, quite a practical or how-to type of section in the series. And finally, if we have or intend to have a, uh, or we, sorry, if all we have or intend to have is a single property, then the idea of looking at the property portfolio cycle might sound a little bit surplus to requirements at first glance. But stick with it as well as we shall see how having a portfolio can bring to pass so many positive things into our lives and equally allows us to provide for others as well or have an impact on the lives of other people. So if you did have smaller horizons, then this last six, uh, section of the series may help to broaden them out somewhat. So more next time, but uh, now that's all I'm, gonna, I'm prepared to share with you. And let's instead pay some attention to a listener suggestion in Your Voice. Up next is Your Voice. It's all about you and your property world. Sanjay is back. <laughs> Sanjay, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is a very loyal listener and I like him so much for that, you know, fact alone. <laughs> However, more than that, he is very creative in his thinking and he's often sending me ideas for the show, which uh, I like him even more for, I can tell you. Well, today's Your Voice is, is stimulated by one of uh, Sanjay's latest contributions or suggestions, and I'm more than happy to oblige, uh, particularly as many other investors have at times wrestled with the same dilemma. Now, Sanjay realized and quite correctly noted that I don't have a patch, as it is known. Or in other words, I do not exclusively invest uh, into a concentrated location, which uh, some, you know, have come to call it their gold mine area. So broadly speaking, a patch could be defined as a clearly identified area, be it a town or a city or even a county, say, where investment activity is concentrated. It need not be where home is, especially for, say, newer investors based in London and the southeast. It could be quite a distance from home in actual fact. However, distance is one of the factors that we shall consider in dealing with the question a little later. Now, Sanjay was interested in the pros and cons of having a patch or not. And so here's, here's just a quick overview of how I see these respective approaches to property investment. It's not going to be a deep dive or a, a full on uh, review. It's just going to scratch the surface a little bit. Now, let's start by having a look at the patch, as it were, and the pros and cons. And um, in the show notes, there'll be a table, um, which I'm, I'm actually going to use as my cue here. But, um, you know, a two by five table, pros on so one side and cons on the other. So we're going to start with the patch and the pros. So the first pro, if you like, or, or plus or benefit of having a patch is that you get a concentration of local knowledge, uh, potentially down to street level, actually. So you, you really do know the area. You can get to know the area. Obviously, you need to do the legwork and the groundwork to do that. But you can get to know thing, uh, an area down to, as I say, street level. I guess on the flip side of that, so a con, if you like, is it can bring some concentration risk factors. 
And uh, I've got nothing against these places, by the way, but I'm just going to call out Blackpool, Burnley and Middlesbrough as just examples of uh, towns or cities that perhaps have suffered or declined over over an extended period of time, say the last 20, 20 years or so, and, and for differing reasons. So if you happen to have concentrated your investments in one of those locations, then potentially you would have uh, realised some of the risks that I, I kind of been pointing out here. So on the one hand, you get the, the concentration of local knowledge. On the other hand, you get concentration risk, I guess. The, the other plus, though, with having a patch is that you get to build good local trade and service contacts to uh, provide consistency and reliability in the servicing of your properties. But local, on the flip side, may not always be better. And in certain areas, choice may be limited to a small number of potentially lower quality options, I have to say. So something of a balance there. It's not always true that, you know, uh, that the concentration effect or rather the, the local trade effect, rather, in this case, can bring to bear positive results. A big one probably now is economies of scale. Uh, which you know benefits I've talked about travel so if you if you've got a patch you've got reduced travel time and therefore reduced travel costs you can be more productive and that's just one small example you can have building teams that can go in and out you can who know who know the standards if you like of the uh, fit out that you need in a locate in, in in an investment property and that sort of thing so yeah economies of scale that's an obvious benefit of having uh, a patch but Equally, um, having a patch closes down opportunities which might like, uh, lie further afield. So on the one hand, economies of scale. On the other hand, closing down further opportunities. And I guess the other plus point really of having a patch is that you could become known as the go-to person in the local area, particularly if you've got a specialism or a niche. And, uh, and that can give you a competitive advantage in the process. Now, this, this could also, uh, this whole idea of having a patch is probably going to suit a certain type of managing, self-managing landlord, probably more than a, uh, a passive armchair type of investor landlord. So that's a clear distinction, I think. I'm not saying it's, or it has to be the case. Um, you can still outsource and be passive, but with having a patch, but it kind of lends itself is what I'm really saying. But the, the flip side of becoming known and becoming this go-to person, of course, is that reputation and brand is great when it works well. However, in smaller areas, everybody will know your business. And, um, you know, if you make a mistake, <laughs> um, the, the gossip, you know, will work against you and your results uh, or rather your reputation could be damaged and magnified, in fact. So uh, it could actually lead to a negative, uh, a negative end result. So that's kind of some of the headlines, if you like, in terms of how I see having a patch. But having not having a patch is the, is the alternative. And uh, here is my equivalent list um, for that one. So I guess, first of all, we probably have to start with the flip to concentration, which is diversification. So diver diversification or spreading our risk, if you like, or in, in layman's terms, not having all of our eggs in one basket. I mentioned those towns earlier on, and um, that's, you know, very clearly, um, you know, a danger of actually, you know, concentrating in one area that's potentially in decline. So, you know, that's, that's definitely a danger, is, um, but it's a plus of not having a patch that you get to spread your, uh, your risk around in, in different locations. But I guess on the flip side of that, and therefore the con might be that you don't win so big, um, you know, should should you find a new hotspot. You know, there's places like Aberdeen, for example, who've had the opposite uh, fortune. Uh, Brighton would be another classic case in point. You, I mean, I'm not including London, but, you know, just other places, um, Oxford, 
which have gone through boom time times really over that last sort of 20 to 30 years. And if you were investing in concentrating in those areas, then you're going to win big. So you could win big or lose big, I suppose, with a patch. Um, but diversification, it has the tendency to spread out those highs and lows to some extent, at least. Um, there is an argument that says that the UK is still one big patch, but uh, perhaps best not go there right now. Um, I guess the other pro with uh, not having a patch is that um, rather than being driven by a macro level uh, area, you know, statistics, you know, a geography, investment fundamentals in, in, a, in a given area, we can instead look at micro level commercials, in, you know, in, instead as the driver. And that allows us, this is indeed my approach, to start with what makes what, what a good deal looks like and then working out from there to make sure that the investment fundamentals stack up. Whereas in, in within an area, you, you're very much saying, well, I'm picking this area for these following reasons. And then you're looking for, um, you know, the, the deals that are there. But on the on the negative side or the cons, if you like, is that um, you might miss some of the subtle aspects um, that exist in a particular location. Um, really recently, I was talking to uh, fair enough, Blackpool again is on my mind. I was talking to someone who lives in Blackpool, and I said, "Well, you know, what what? Tell me about Blackpool. Tell me what it's like." And he said, "Well, it depends which part." You know, there's definitely parts which are known as sort of the the, the drugs haven, the uh, the red light district, and this sort of thing. And he knows exactly where they are because he's literally there. Whereas I wouldn't necessarily know. Fortunately, I'm not particularly looking to invest in that location, but it's transferable into different locations. So having that local knowledge, um, you know, or not having that local knowledge means you can miss some of the subtle aspects and end up buying in the middle of the red light district, I suppose. Um, I, I kind of alluded to this point already that one of the pluses is that um, having no patch is, is probably more suited to an outsourced or systemized approach and then this itself lends itself to being a more passive investor so uh, or it could indeed force it if that's not a preference so um, if you've got more of an outsourced way of thinking or a systemized way of looking at things again it's not exclusive but it could lend itself to, to not necessarily having to focus on one clear area. But the flip side of that, as there's always pluses and minuses and uh, of everything, is that it could be hard to maintain a consistency of service and standards across a, a portfolio due to having different people implementing the systems that you're operating in their different locations. Because, you know, for example, a letting agent in Cornwall is going to be different to one in Scotland, even if they are part of a national brand, I'd say. Although there's more likelihood, in fact, in that case. But there we go. Um, the other the other pro with uh, not having a patch is that um, we're going to be open to more opportunities uh, and not be confined by a boundary fence around our thinking. So, um, you know, I've, I have indeed experiences where I've uh, seen new opportunities. It's allowed me to look at different strategies in different parts of the country, which work quite well. And so um, that's been a, it's provided opportunities quite quite uh, obviously. But then again, on the flip side of that, it means more time and potentially more risk involved in the due diligence and the deal qualification process and aspects. So, you know, to because you don't know the area so well, um, somebody presents you with an opportunity in an area that you don't know well, clearly you're going to have to spend more time and there is more risk as a result of not knowing the area very well. And I guess the final one is a softer one. It's um, 
interest and variety really that uh, can help maintain motivation. Now, um, personally speaking, it's something that you know I I like. It isn't it isn't you know essential, uh, and it isn't what everybody likes. But um, you know so but it does provide that interest level, that variety to look at different areas and uh, suss them out if you like. So that's a plus. But on the flip side, it could lead to obviously a lack of focus. Um, by being spread around too thinly and having to maintain uh, insights and knowledge about not just individual properties but individual uh, towns as well and and that could lead to some sort of disorder creeping into the business and potentially that can lead to some mistakes or leakage if you like and uh, and problems in the business there so so that was it really i i didn't really want to make it a full-on episode sanjay sorry if you wanted it to be I just kind of wanted to give a flavour, uh, some headlines, if you like, a short and sweet comparison then, if you like, and maybe to skim the surface to uh, to the point rather than go deep dive, as it were. But um, I guess in terms of which one is best, I would say this, it's, it's going to depend. It's going to depend on personal preferences and style. It's also going to depend on ability to focus in a certain area. And it's also going to depend on on the end game of the investor. What what is it they're looking to achieve, and you know how do they want to do that? And as for me, no, I don't particularly have a patch. As San, Sanjay quite rightly identified, I I have properties spread across the UK and some overseas as well. In fact, and 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 why was this, or why is this? Well, initially it was it was where I could get deals that uh, met my fairly stringent criteria. You know, for a start. There weren't loads of diamonds on my doorstep. And it was also, you know, down to my personal preference and style, I have to say. I like variety. I prefer to outsource. And I, and I fully plan to be a more arm's length investor with, uh, with many other interests and activities to spend my time and energies on. So that's probably how it, how it arose for me. However, I would say that it, it's starting to change now just a little bit. I've uh, recently concentrated some of my more recent investments in the East and West Midlands, for example, uh, and this still, you know, would be classed as a broad area uh, uh, to be considered a patch or a gold mine area. But it does start to open up some of the opportunities to capitalise on on some of the benefits of having a patch, as I've outlined. Um, now, I don't think I'm ever likely to concentrate fully in one area. <laughs> for a start, I don't like the idea of the concentration risk, as I've mentioned. However, I do see some merit in having some pockets of interest, um, if not an out-and-out patch. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll add to my uh, my properties in the East and West Midlands, for example, and not exclusively them. And it, it could be different for, for other people. Um, so, for example, if um, if what you're good at is, is speaking to vendors to get a, a great direct-to-vendor deal, then it would make sense to concentrate on a particular area. And similarly, if you want to get the best deals from an agent, then it pays to see and be seen locally to not not only help build the rapport and the trust that uh, you need to develop, but also to concentrate your purchasing power into a small area for maximum return. So I guess in conclusion, I'm not fixed in what is the right or wrong way to go about this. Your direction, chosen strategy and and personal skills and preferences will, to a large extent, make the decision for you, I'd suggest. So there you go. (laughs) I am, you know, I've got to admit, I am sitting on the proverbial fence a little bit in terms of my opinion as to what is best. 
However, what I do know is what is best for me is no patch, and I stand by that. So I might, I might start to have uh, slight pockets, as I mentioned, but I'm not sure I'm going to have an out-and-out -out patch. So uh, that's, that's me nailing my colours to the mask. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it has to suit the individual concerns, so I'm not saying everybody has to do it my way. I think there are other ways and good reasons for doing those, as I outlined uh, earlier. But I hope that brief overview has helped to get the argument flowing at least, and uh, why not drop me a note with your perspective? Um, have I missed any glaring points that would make it uh, a nonsense or a no-brainer even? Podcast at thepropertyvoice.net to start a conversation. Or why not drop a comment in our Facebook page instead uh, against this post that will be up there? And just as a reminder, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash thepropertyvoice, which is all one word, in case you hadn't guessed. So thanks again, Sanjay, for your suggestion, and uh, do keep them coming. As with all of you, uh, I'd like to hear what's going on in people's minds, and uh, I'm happy to try and cover a wide range of property subject matter in, in the various episode styles that we have here too. So uh, let's hear from, from more of you out there. You know, From now on, though, uh, let's leave it right there, and we'll just move into the shout-out, which we brought back once again right now. And now, where you can go for more great resources with a shout-out. Nobody's perfect, right? <laughs> Me included, I hasten to add. Now, if you recall, a few weeks back, I shared my story about how difficult it was to make myself heard by the, the giant energy provider, NPower. And the story seems to have reached a conclusion now, and so it's time to give you a bit of an update. Now, I left it last time with a, a trail of uh, unreturned correspondence, meanwhile being pursued for a debt that uh, was not due to me. And I was extremely frustrated. <laughs> if you heard that episode, it would have come through, I'm sure. But uh, I'm sure you would have been equally frustrated with the experience I would have had. But I was extremely frustrated. However, it seems that Empower do have some actual humans working for them after all. I was making the point that it just seems to be all systems and processes and there weren't any actual humans to talk to or to listen to me. Well, there was one at least, and I, I finally heard from a, a nice chap called Neil via their Twitter support service. And uh, now it, I have to say, it wasn't exactly plain sailing still. Um, for example, the debt collection agents, and I remember there were two of them, had both said that they'd forwarded my emails with all the proofs and, and that sort of thing, the attachments that they needed to, uh, to pass them through to NPower. And yet, despite the fact that the debt collection people had um, confirmed that they'd sent them through and that the NPower were looking at them, NPower claimed never to receive them. So there was a bit of a, a glitch there, even, uh, even with Neil's involvement, let's say. But um, basically, let's give it up for Neil as he uh, apologised to me and he, he promised to get to the bottom of things. And sure enough, he did do that. So the, what happened was the bills were corrected. Hooray! I had a small charge remaining to me for about seven, I think it was seven or 21 days of outstanding charge. There wasn't even any usage. But they agreed to write that off as well. Hooray! <laughs> and they called off the dogs. Hooray! And finally, when I asked them if they would be prepared to pay compensation, compensation rather, not to me personally, but instead to a small school in the middle of the Amazon, they agreed to pay £100 to support them. So, hooray again! And you can see that uh, some of these large companies have a focus on systems and processes. And to a large extent, that is also understandable. 
it helps them to be efficient and therefore to reduce their costs, which hopefully they get you know, gets passed on to us as well in turn. That said, it is people that really make the difference, I find. And I found Neil, perhaps a little late, but it seems not too late. So to all of the Neils of this world that try to bridge the gap between the system, what the system says, computer says no, and all that stuff, and what the customer says, I salute you. Here's to Neil and all the others like him. Um, and could we just have a few more now, please, uh, big utility companies? <laughs> that would make a lot of difference, I'm sure. So I'm happy to close the loop and indeed the door on the whole N-Power saga with a positive end. But before I go and leave the topic totally, I'd like to give a bit of a shout out uh, to this little school in the Amazon, as I mentioned. Now, I was fortunate enough to go and visit them a few months back when I was on holiday over there, which is quite a tremendous trip, as you can imagine. Now, Maria, who is the teacher and the students are a real inspiration, I can tell you. The environment is a tough one. Um, it's it's literally flooded with the Amazon River. So um, the, the kids out there are brought in from the remote villages and, and uh, places where they live. And they're brought in by boat. And in fact, in fact, until fairly recently, Maria, the teacher herself, used to drive the boat. So that was pretty impressive. But now that's her son's job. He's uh, He's obviously grown into the responsibility and he gets to drive the boat and bring the kids into school. And originally, the, uh, the, there was one class and uh, there was no building. Uh, the, t the students were taught out on the grass. Uh, and in fact, a British benefactor um, funded the building. There's now a nice little, uh, I think, two classrooms that are in there. And there's three classes a day that are run. And there's an assistant teacher as well as Maria. So um, it's, it's grown effectively. And uh, as I say, it used to be one teacher teaching all ages in one class. So um, it was, must have been quite challenging. However, what was the most inspiring thing was, was hearing the children. Uh, they did this little talk for us, you know, when we went to visit. And um, amongst other things, they basically said what they wanted to be when they grow up. And, you know, they were saying teachers, doctors, vets, firemen, game rangers, business people, and just the odd footballer as well. Um, but it really did, you know, reveal the belief and the confidence that uh, has been instilled into them. And, you know, a lot of the credit has to go to their teacher, Maria, of course. But, you know, they genuinely believe that that's, uh, these are the careers that they, they could pursue. However, you know, funding and uh, therefore the resources for this type of school are scarce, as you can probably imagine. So I decided I was going to run a 10K on the 7th of November to raise money for this school. And I'd be grateful if you'd support me in this effort. Um, trust me, I've never actually run this far before in my life, despite being an active person. And, and that along with the fact that I'm nearing 50 now and I'm also recovering from an Achilles injury means that it is a genuine challenge. And more so as the planned event that I was going to run in on the 7th of no November was oversubscribed. And so I couldn't take part in it anyway. So instead, I indeed have been and will continue to be training and running pretty much alone on that Saturday as well. I mean, there'll be a couple of people around, but it's not going to be the big motivational event of a large run that I can, uh, you know, it can pull me along and that type of thing. So what I'm trying to say, it's, there's some real motivation and commitment <laughs> Um, but if you'd like to know more, I won't labour it here, but if you'd like to know more or possibly even pledge a donation, then uh, please have a look at my fundraising page on Facebook. I've got a Just Giving page, but all the links are going to be on my Facebook page, which is called Help Fundraiser, 
which is all one word, help fundraiser. So go to Facebook and forward slash help fundraiser and you'll you'll see some stuff that I'm posting in there. So uh, be be great to hear from you in that respect. And it's going to mean a lot to me, but it's going to mean a whole lot more to those kids as well, I can tell you. So uh, thanks for anything you can do. It would be gratefully received and appreciated. But that's it. That's all we have time for today then. I've uh, introduced Series 2 for you and some more besides as we get back to the original format from Series 1 once again. I hope you like that. And uh, talking of liking it, um, how are those reviews coming along on iTunes? I've got to admit, I have not managed to have a look for a few weeks now. So it'd be a great surprise to see a few more uh, when I do. I'll, I'll hold off for a few more days and perhaps once the once you've heard this show, you think to yourself, yeah, yeah, I did mean to review that podcast. And hopefully it's a nice, uh, nice chunky five-star review. That would be great. But, you know, all reviews are welcome. I'll take them on board. So you know, you know what to do, don't you? <laughs> Meanwhile, as always, you can email me personally at podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And the show notes, as ever, will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. But right now, at least, all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.